Are you ready to take your career to the next level? This is ISE's Michael Hughes, and earning a master's in engineering management from the University of Louisville can strengthen your leadership skills and open new career opportunities in just 10 courses. In UofL's fully online program, take just one course at a time whenever it's most convenient, making it easy to balance life and education. All you need is a bachelor's in a STEM field. Six Sigma Black Belt certification available and no GRE is required. Learn more about this online 10-course master's program at louisville.edu slash online. This is Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, where we talk to industrial and systems engineers about their work, ideas, and solutions. Hello and welcome to Problem Solved, the IISE podcast. I'm Keith Albertson, Managing Editor of ISE Magazine. In this episode, we talk to academic leaders from industrial and systems engineering departments at two universities on how their faculty and students adjusted to remote instruction and other challenges during the COVID-19 pandemic. These obstacles presented unique challenges for the problem-solving skills of ISEs, but they found innovative ways to teach and learn, to stay connected, and improve their methods. We also will explore this topic in the September issue of ISE Magazine. We're discussing how industrial and systems engineering students and faculty were able to adjust to the challenges posed by the COVID-19 pandemic this past spring. Today, we're joined by two educators from the University of Arkansas who have made such adjustments. Dr. Kim Lascolaniti is a professor of industrial engineering and dean of the Graduate School in International Education at the University of Arkansas. Her research interests include engineering management, sustainability, and supply chain optimization, and her work has been published in 125 refereed publications. She's an IISE fellow, a former Board of Trustees member. She received the IISE's Distinguished Educator Award in 2019. We're also joined by Emmanuel D. Rossetti, a professor and director of the Data Science Program for the College of Engineering, Walton College of Business, and Fulbright College of Arts and Sciences at Arkansas. His research is focused on the design, analysis, and optimization of transportation, inventory, healthcare, and manufacturing systems. And he teaches courses in the areas of probability modeling, discrete event simulation, object-oriented and database systems, transportation and logistics modeling, and inventory modeling. He is also an IASC fellow elected in 2012. We welcome you both. Kim, if we can begin with you, when the school began to first react to the pandemic, when it uh, began to, to spread and was forced to suspend classes, what were some of the initial steps that educators there had to take in order to adjust to the, the new reality of remote learning? Well, thanks. Um, so my unit, as you mentioned, is the Graduate School in International Education. So it really cuts across the whole campus. And this unit was really called into action at the very beginning when the pandemic started to hit. And this impacted our many undergraduate students, primarily that were studying abroad all over the world. And so as the pandemic began to spread, uh, primarily in Europe to start, and in China, we had students that were studying abroad. And so our unit was called into action to begin to figure out how to bring these students back and in kind of what sequence to bring these students back and where to bring them back uh, too. So uh, there were, was certainly a lot of uh, logistics associated with this kind of task as well as figuring out once they return back to the U.S., how we were going to uh, schedule them to complete their spring coursework. So this started happening the end of February through March. The campus also quickly put together more than a dozen different uh, task teams to look at every element that was going to be impacting um, the campus. And these task teams were consisted of administrators, faculty, staff, graduate students, undergraduate students, to look at various issues such as event planning and how we would change event planning on the academic side, how we would continue to look at um, our education. So the study abroad students came back, but then also we started to 
closed down the campus with face-to-face instruction after spring break. And so looking at how best to uh, prepare faculty to be able to start teaching remotely, students to be able to start um, taking their education remotely. So we had academic committees, research committees. How are we going to continue with the research mission of the institution, et cetera? And it really is a, a kind of an ISC problem in the sense that you had this very sudden disruption and had to come up with a very sort of data-based approach to it. Manuel, describe some of the ways as an instructor that you had to adjust very quickly in, in order to uh, keep your students on track, what some of the challenges, what some of the limitations might have been. Well, I'll speak quickly about the faculty as a whole and maybe specific to me. Uh, I think one of the challenges that faculty face is there are some faculty that, that uh are really good at using the learning management systems that we have in place. And uh, so their transition was a little simpler because they're already using online delivery mechanisms, even for a face-to-face class. So their transition is easier. And I'm one of those. So I, I use that a great deal. There's other faculty that, you know, still write on the board, still, you know, delivering the old way. And, uh, that transition was much more difficult for them because everybody had to go online. We had to learn, I think, from my perspective, how to adapt online testing procedures because students were not on campus and we had to still have the level of academic integrity that we need uh, for those students when they're taking the tests. And it's a very difficult, challenging effort to to make that work. The second thing that I learned, I can give you maybe a a quick story about a student or two, but we're a land-grant institution, right? So we we have to serve a wide variety of students across the state and the country, to be frank. Uh, We we have to adjust that, uh, you know, Arkansas is a great place to live, but our internet connection access for students across the entire state is very different for different uh, areas of the state. Uh, so we, we have to recognize that students don't necessarily have solid, reliable internet access, even though we were forced to deliver online. And uh, I had students that's basically, a student told me that they had to drive to campus, sit in the grounds so they could access the Wi-Fi to take their test. So any, from a personal standpoint, understanding that students had to go through these extra steps is something that faculty have to be recognizing. Um, there's other student that told me they, they had to go home. They weren't allowed to be in, you know, on campus and they were pushed off campus from their housing in some cases. And so they go to a rural, rural location where they live. <clears throat> their internet is much different there than it is near the university. Uh, and they, a young lady told me she had to share her laptop with the three or four other siblings that are also forced to go home that were in elementary school because that's the only device they had uh, in their house. So that's different. And we don't really recognize, you know, use that, you know, um, deal with that on a regular basis. And we have to make exceptions and understand the students are stressed under these conditions. Mm-hmm. And, and hands-on learning, Manuel, is so important to, to pretty any, anybody in, in a, a university setting, but for ISE students in particular, were there projects, hands-on projects that simply were uh, made much more difficult by not being able to do things in person? Yeah, so there's a couple things there. I mean, from a from a standpoint of laboratories, everybody was you know scrambling uh, on how to deliver that laboratory experience. I know, like our robotics class had to do some you know they had projects where students had to get together and and uh, you know make things and have them move around and all that, and they had to really change that. Uh, they had to go to more of a virtual delivery or change the project requirements and, and, and do something different because it's just not feasible to do it the other way. <clears throat> uh, believe it or not, though, like our capstone design course, uh, where we're working with projects in industry and collaborating with industry and doing senior design, 
there was some hiccups there, but most of that is done uh, virtually nowadays anyways, as companies also work virtually. So um, the tools that we have to collaborate, I think some of those were, were, you know, expanded to some extent, but I think the students got a good dose of how uh, industry has to do that. And, uh, and that is actually a good learning experience for them because they had to uh, act in the same way that industry was forced to act at that time. And uh, so it could be a, there's some positive aspects to that. Uh, students had to learn to collaborate remotely with each other, which is, you know, important in uh, global workforce development nowadays. And so uh, I think that doses on the project side was turned into a positive thing. We still had a successful capstone delivery. We had to do a virtual event for that. It's unfortunate the students couldn't get together and celebrate and see their own posters and that kind of thing, uh, you know, physically, but we did it virtually instead. And it's not as good. It's not the same. You know, they had, you know, you have a group of people come to your table and see what you did and talk to them physically is a lot different than, you know, talking like we're doing right now. So those changes happen, but there are some positive sides to those changes. Yeah, if I could, if I could add to that, uh, Manuel makes a great point. Our students, as a result of this, have learned to be better time managers, more flexible, and certainly more adaptable as a result of this, which are great life skills and great skills to prepare them for an evolving uh, workplace. As he said, Industry works virtually, works works remotely in a similar manner. So that is a really positive aspect. But another important thing that I don't know that everyone realizes, in addition to struggling with things as simple as internet connection, many of our students at the undergraduate and graduate levels are also uh, parents. They have, uh, in addition to siblings, as the example Manuel uh, gave, they have uh, children of their own. And so when essentially things started shutting down in industry and on the campus and everybody started to go home, there was an additional challenge to their education because they had to also be helping younger children or siblings with their learning environments and figure out how to get their studies done with full course loads, perhaps, while also having these added responsibilities, which added significant pressure and stress to them. And so as a campus, you know, we also had to help students with managing that additional workload that was thrust upon them unexpectedly. Yeah, one of the things our campus did and many of the other campuses did around the nation was to go to a more of a pass-fail option for those courses in the spring. You know, as a faculty senator, I thought that the I thought that the idea of pass-fail might have might be a little controversial with faculty, but I was surprised and happy that that faculty accepted and embraced it. Uh, and it worked out for many, many students. And I was surprised at the number of students that had to take that option. Uh, so getting a C or above would be a pass. And, uh, and that, you know, even getting a C on your thing for some students, it hurts their employment opportunities. So, and because of the pressures and stress that, that we've talked about, that, that was actually chosen by more students than I was you know, expecting. So we had to be flexible in how we do things, both on uh, uh, delivery of classes, but also on how we treat treat the students. And Kim, in your responsibility with with graduate students, you, they may be older students, they may be more likely to have families and other challenges. What were some of the specific, maybe unique challenges that they had to face during this um, to be able to, to stay on track with, with their degree programs? Right. Well, the pandemic really uh, threw a wrench into many of the students being able to continue with their research. And so in particular, particular, uh, as the campus began to close down, research laboratories began to close down, and students then often lost their access to be able to continue uh, to complete their, their research. So that slowed down. That may have then impacted and delayed their, their graduation. 
our graduate students in industrial engineering, as an example, are, um, uh, you know, attend the IISE annual conference. And so we know this year it was postponed from the regular May, um, May event and rescheduled for, for October. But then these graduate students lost the opportunity, let's say, to go to that conference, to present their research, to network with other professionals, to maybe attend the PhD colloquium, as an example, or to uh, network for job opportunities. Uh, If students that hadn't secured jobs yet, you know, everything just slowed down. And so those job opportunities and interviews also became uh, more, more sparse. And so Everybody, it seems like, um, to a large extent, have been delayed or slowed down. And, and a concern I have personally with that is that that often presents greater financial um, challenges for the students when they don't graduate on time. They may incur additional debt that they have to address later on. And what about summer internships? Those likely had to be affected as well because certainly those are designed and, and scheduled well ahead of time. I imagine there were probably some companies that were able to do some remote internships. Some may have not been available. How did that go for the students you're aware of at Arkansas? And was is that something they're still trying to battle through? Well, uh, from our standpoint, the we did see some of those those situations. Uh, most of the full time hiring and the uh, internships, as you indicated, are kind of decided in the fall. There's still some, you know, recruiting in the spring, primarily for internships. So we saw a slowdown of that recruiting process. Uh, how it affected students. Um, we saw a number of companies delay as essentially what Kim was talking about. They said, you can't start your internship until, until we know more. We're uncertain about when to start. Uh, we we uh, will delay you to this point in time and see what happens. So a lot of students were in limbo. In fact, I was contacted by many students, you know, that said, hey, do you have any jobs on campus that we can do for your research mission? Because they weren't able to to get the internship that they were you know they were planning on doing. Uh, lucky for me, that's good. I needed some students for my research this this summer, uh, and we're pretty flexible in how we can do that. But there's some of that postponement. I know graduate students, international graduate students especially, uh, their uh, the the conditions that they they face. Uh, they had to get OPT started, and now companies are saying we're not able to do that. And we're, because of the new rules and restrictions that are in place, partly because of the pandemic, uh, that has delayed some of those students actually starting their full-time jobs. Their full-time jobs are still in limbo. So that that is a, a something that the students have faced. Um, and we'll see some of them putting it off and thinking about graduate school instead, which is probably not necessarily the best thing. You know, you go to grad school as your second choice rather than your first. You'd rather have them go to graduate school as their first choice. Uh, but so we see some of that thinking about, well, I'll just stay in school a little longer and, and, and uh, delay this whole thing. And uh, that's, that's not necessarily the best thing. And Manuel, just from the standpoint of what you had to adjust to, what have you learned from this that you can take going forward as the new semester comes around? And and, and how can you maybe find ways to do it even better? And uh, taking a look at it from an IAC perspective, what are you taking ahead that you think you can use to, to do a better job if remote learning is something you have to continue doing? Well, that, that's a great, great question because uh, we're faced right now with planning our fall semester and uh, we're having the opportunity to have sort of a hybrid or face-to-face or remote, depending on uh, what the faculty preferences might be concerning their health conditions and so forth. But um for, for my class, simulation, for example, I just I teach discrete simulation. I typically would have a lab environment for that, right? In which the students would be packed in a lab and we work on the computers together. Um, but I found that uh, the possibility of remote delivery, every student having a computer and their laptop seeing my screen on their screen or me being able to see their screen on my screen, it actually can be very useful for the educational process. 
So that delivery mode is exciting for me, actually, uh, to do that sort of exercise. And it doesn't have to be physically in a lab. Uh, everybody's sitting computer to computer. Uh, they can be at home doing it. That relies on good Internet access to deliver it. That's the concern I mentioned earlier. So I don't I think you can take advantage of some of the technology. For example, I learned to use breakout sessions within my remote course. They were very successful. I'm really excited about the fact that, that they worked, that I got subgroups of students. So I would drop in and listen to them talking. There was more talking then than they would be in the classroom. So there's some positive aspects that you can leverage. Uh, and look at it as an opportunity rather than a problem. As we record this, a lot of the decisions that all schools are going to be making for the fall are kind of still in progress. And the situation is very fluid, as we all know, and can change. Kim, what are just some of the data, the logistics, the things that have to be taken into consideration when it comes to figuring out how to proceed with the fall semester? Well, there's many. Uh, Let me focus on uh, the one related to kind of best practices for the pandemic. So, you know, we've the, the uh, CDC and other health uh, agencies tell us we need to wear uh, some kind of facial masks and have social distance. So on our campus and on campuses across the country, what that means is that if we're going to have face-to-face instruction, we need to figure out how to do that with social distancing. And so we're doing all kinds of things, looking at classroom layouts, looking at capacity for the the instructor and the students and how we can space them out. We're looking at uh, entries and exits where they are in one direction to also limit people passing by one another in a face-to-face manner. So so all of those things, as Manuel mentioned, we're still finalizing the course uh, delivery method for the fall. So all kinds of scheduling aspects uh, related uh, to that. You know, the, the one thing that, um, you know, I, I've tried to practice is to not be forced into making a decision before I need to, because this situation is so fluid. And one of the frustrating things that everybody's dealing with, whether you're an administrator, a faculty, a student, is all the uncertainty. You know, everybody wants to know what's it going to look like in the fall? What's my schedule going to be? How will the course be offered? And so uh, we can make decisions about that. But the reality is, is that every day and every week, given the fluidity of the situation and the spread of the virus, that may not be the best decision that we make today for tomorrow. And so it behooves us to try to delay making those decisions until, you know, the, the latest possible point so that the decision sticks, if you will. So, so those are some of the, you know, the, the unique uh, challenges that we're looking at. And I'm sure it's something all schools are facing, but, and and as difficult as this is for everyone from every discipline, having industrial and systems engineers to be able to to sort of do the problem solving for an unexpected problem has to be at least some advantage to those in in your faculty. Well, we want to thank you both for your time. We certainly wish you the best and fall semester going forward. And we hope that everything in Arkansas can go as smoothly as possible. We appreciate all that you've done for IASC and for your students, and we will certainly uh, keep in touch. Thank you both. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Have you ever been part of an engineering project or team and wished you were calling the shots? This is IASC's Michael Hughes. The online master's in engineering management at the University of Louisville can expand your career opportunities and prepare you to take leadership roles in just 10 courses. Classes cover topics like engineering operations, financial management, and more. You can also earn your Six Sigma Black Belt certification. All you need is a bachelor's in a STEM field and the drive to take your career to the next level. No GRE required. Make your next career move with this online program at louisville.edu slash online.
We're now joined by Dr. Eileen Van Aken, a professor and department head in the Greater Department of Industrial and Systems Engineering at Virginia Tech. She earned her bachelor's degree in industrial engineering and operations research and her master's degree and doctorate in industrial and systems engineering at Virginia Tech. Her key research interest is in management systems engineering. She is an IASC fellow and past board of trustees member and is chair of the Council of Industrial Engineering Academic Department Heads. She joined us today to discuss how Virginia Tech was able to adjust to new modes of instruction during the COVID-19 pandemic. Eileen, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Thank you. It's great to be with you. The, the pandemic came so quickly for everyone. Businesses and everyone had to adjust very quickly. What was the situation on your campus when you realized this was going to be a problem and you had to very quickly turn things around uh, to, to move to a different type of instruction? Yes, it did happen very quickly for many organizations, including higher education. It was the first week in March that our university made the decision that all classes were going to move to online. Um, And that was just before our spring break week. Uh, It might have even been just literally as spring break was starting. And so we had, um, you know, that week to prepare um, for being able to teach online. And the students, they had some of them that returned to dormitories that didn't have um, a place where they could go. They could have internet access that was stable, but many students did not return to the campus dormitory. So it was a very quick turnaround time for being able to have not the kind of presence on campus and um, moving to essential operations for the campus. So about mid-March and thereafter, we were teaching in a virtual format. Research labs had to pause. um, And then many people were teleworking. I think it was 80 or 90 percent of our faculty and staff and graduate students were working remotely by that time. As you make this adjustment, um, obviously, it's, it's maybe easier for some faculty members than others who maybe had done more remote learning and and we're more familiar with that. What were some of the ways that faculty had to quickly take a lot of the material and be able to use it in an online format? Yes, this was a significant challenge for many faculty. We, We have some that have had extensive experience in teaching synchronous online classes as part of master's programs, but many of our faculty had never taught online before and, you know, use a learning management system. We use Canvas at Virginia Tech, but other than that, they might not use much technology in their courses or maybe just that. So that was a real challenge for, you know, all classes for um, the university had um, some internal training and education and resources for faculty and instructors to um, know how to use Zoom and more of the features of Canvas. So we utilized that, but we also had uh, our IT person who did some internal training for our faculty, more specific to some of our courses and questions they would have. So we tried to provide everybody with the tools and the uh, guidance that they would need. And that would include webcams and document cameras if they needed that when they were teaching remotely. Um, For our hands-on manufacturing processes lab class where students do machining and sandcasting and welding, that was a big challenge, of course, because that had to move remotely and that's not the same kind of experience. We have five full-time lab technicians that are skilled machinists that teach that class with the help of some graduate teaching assistants. Um, What we did during our spring break week is our communications staff member took videos, about 20, 30 minute videos of each of the different lab activities that go on in our manufacturing processes lab of them explaining and doing a demonstration of how you do the sand casting or the welding or machining a pulley. And those were resources then that we posted on the website for that course. And then the students would read the detailed lab manual and then take an online quiz. And we had many office hours and availability for answering questions. So that's one of the things we had to do to pivot for that class. And, and, you know, it was significantly different for the students in terms of what they were able to do. They went through half the semester in doing the things in that class. And then the second half of the semester, we had to uh, change that to the remote learning. For other classes, um, 
you know, really, um, you know, many of the faculty did all kinds of things to make the material more accessible to students. Um, you know, they would record lectures and post them so students can view them asynchronously because we did students all over the world in different time zones. So it, you know, for many classes, they were synchronous, but the lecture would still be recorded for asynchronous viewing. People did things like increasing significantly the office hours um, so that it could span different times of the day, um, you know, for a variety of students. Um, many faculty use tools like uh, Piazza to um, get questions from students that might not ask them during office hours. And then they those provided some interesting um, analytics to be able to track response time on questions. So. In one of our sophomore classes on data management, the average response time was 36 minutes. And in our optimization undergraduate class, it was something like 16 minutes, I think. So and those each of those classes had almost 200 students in them. And so that was something that, you know, I know the faculty teaching those classes worked really hard to increase more of the you know, responsiveness um, and customer service orientation in a sense for our students. So some, those are some of the things that they did, um, you know, with the um, response time and course websites and accessibility. Um, in some of our other classes, some of the activities, uh, I was impressed with how creative our faculty were at trying to adjust some of the courses that had some lab component or in-class activities or exercises. So for our, um, um, you know, for a class like uh, in uh, work physiology, where some of the labs are around the load on a shoulder for exerting force, there was the instructor designed an at-home activity where they could use a milk jug filled with water and still do the same activity, but at home, and then they could still do things with all the class's data. Uh, and so I thought that was very creative. One other example is for our production planning inventory control class, we do at the end of the semester, uh, uh, for four nights in a row, students break into groups and do a three or four hour activity where they design a very, you know, a production schedule and production um, plan uh, with a lot of complexity. Uh, and so it's a very great culminating activity for that class. Well, we had to do that online uh, and do it in a way, you know, using Excel where students could do it completely remotely. So that was a big challenge. But one of the things we're planning to do in the fall is to leverage that and then actually have it be hosted on um, AWS and then be able to have it be played uh, and done in a class environment remotely, um, but also face to face, depending upon what the situation may be for when we next teach that class. So those are some of the examples of things that instructors did to um, modify and adjust their course, but still give the best educational experience they could to students. And in addition to overseeing the faculty as department head, you had to deal with student needs as well. Did they have some challenges in terms of, you mentioned time zones can be a, a challenge if they're spread out throughout different geographic areas. Did students have issues with equipment or uh, internet access, mm -hmm. depending on where they were, that you, you had to address as well? Yes, the, the latter that you mentioned, the internet access was a challenge at times for many students that did not have um, stable, um, you know, internet connectivity and would have challenges. So that was one of the reasons why our faculty would do things so that could be viewed asynchronously by students so that they could, you know, reconnect again when they had um, better connection. Um, we also, you know, did things like uh, take home, you know, tests, online tests, open book, open notes tests so that students wouldn't be uh, disadvantaged to the extent possible with the online test taking. Um, so those are some of the things that we, you know, also tried to take into account. We have two full-time academic advisors and they're available to meet with students and, you know, under normal operations, students can make appointments or they can just walk in and they, the students really take advantage of that. Our advisors, of course, had to work remotely, but they really made a lot of efforts to reach out to students to, you know, have virtual office hours that were like drop-in appointments for students, as well as making, um, you know, meeting times with students and being able to... Um, you know, help them with questions that they had. Um, I know many students really struggled um, with feeling disconnected from their peers and also from their faculty. So we really worked with our advisors help with our undergrad students and our advisors that we have for graduate students to really reach out to them and let them know that we're thinking about them. What questions do you have? Provide them encouragement. Um, 
you know, one of the other things that we did with social media is we have our communications and alumni relations person. And so she thought of some ways to let, you know, connect with students through our Facebook page for the department. So when we had all of our faculty preparing during that week before classes uh, resumed online, um, she made some posts of our faculty working from home, you know, preparing their course, whether and that's with maybe their children or their pets and in their home environment. And so those were really fun kind of posts that let students see you know, we're working hard to be ready for you when we, you know, are teaching online. And also that it's helps them see a different side of faculty, kind of maybe a fun side that they might not normally see under uh, regular operations. So we had a lot of engagement with those posts and I think students really appreciated it. And then we also increased our highlights of students, you know, what, what internship they may be doing or they have done. Um, and we're been continuing to do that over the summer so that we can really you know, connect with students and really let them know they're part of the ISC community um, at our university. So those are some of the things that we've been doing to try to increase that connection for students so they might not feel as lonely or disconnected. And of course, this was a challenge for everybody, all colleges and university and fields of study. But for industrial and systems engineers, here's a new problem to solve. And you've got a bunch of people who know how to use data, who know how to take a, a system-wide approach and, and solve a problem. So in that sense, it was probably kind of a, a lesson that students could learn. We talked about the example of how the IASE student chapter was able to very quickly adapt and do some uh, remote communications and just showed that how they were able to sort of learn on the fly and, and make the most of this situation. That's true. I mean, the we normally have our elections for new officers for the next year in April. And, you know, those officers, the new leadership team for the chapter, um, really, of course, needed to immediately be working remotely in April when they started working in our prior leadership team, of course, had to also work remotely, you know, during March and April. Um, but they really went out of their way to try to find ways for them to be able to have some team building activities, um, you know, of course, meet, meeting through Zoom, including sharing information, but also planning and brainstorming um, some of the things that they've that they've really increased their activity over the summer when normally our student chapter doesn't do really that much over the summer months. But they, for example, redesigned our sponsorship package for companies and they reached out to a group with some of my help of some alumni that hire our students and would want to engage with the student chapter next year. So they reached out to them to get early feedback to help them make some adjustments to the sponsorship package. And they also held some professional development sessions that were, of course, completely virtual. So they had one on Agile development uh, that was very well attended and well received. Um, and then they also had some other ones um, for different aspects of the job search, how to you know increase your marketability if you were um, didn't have an internship that summer and some of our students you know did have that and were affected in that regard. Um, but they had far more attendance at those events, as you might imagine, being virtual than we would normally have for any kind of info session or a tutorial on on campus during the academic year. So they really went out of their way to proactively plan some things in the summer and without necessarily the marching orders or direction from me as the faculty advisor of our IIS student chapter. So I've really been impressed with what they've done to try to um, really provide information and services to their student members and to just our larger uh, department population. You touched on a little bit too, one of the challenges though, um, so many students had internships that were already in line for summer and some of those may have either gone away or changed. How did your students adapt to that and how do you try and help them stay in whatever opportunities might be out there? Yes, we were very concerned about this. We, you know, we've heard, we heard informally from a number of students that had lost full-time jobs who were graduating seniors or internships who were going to be sophomores and juniors the next year and rising seniors that had um, lost internships for the summer. So we, being industrial engineers, we designed a systematic process where we reached out to everybody and said, please let us know your situation. Please let us know if you had a job that was rescinded uh, because of the pandemic. So we then developed a database to track those students so that we could help them. And then we reached out to our advisory board, which 
pretty much every engineering department has an advisory board mainly comprised of alumni who are very committed and passionate about helping students at their alma mater. And we reached out to our Academy of Distinguished Alumni, our Emerging Leaders Board, which is like a young alumni board that volunteers and does things for the department. So we reached out to all of those groups with the question of, can you create an internship opportunity for some of our students or are you still hiring in your company? And we really had um, a pretty great response from that. And then we had one of our advisors match up those opportunities that came our way and we had her manage all that information and then work with the students that had lost jobs to try to match up where there was interest or a match and were um, including maybe sending resumes to some of the companies that that responded to us the student's permission, of course. And we were able, out of all the students that were graduating seniors who had full-time job offers that were lost, we were able to help a third of those um, get a different job. And for all the students who had lost summer internships that were going to be rising seniors or rising juniors in the department, um, we were able to help half of them be able to find a summer internship and the rest or, or then about a number of other students were able to get part-time jobs or to work on undergraduate research projects with faculty on camp, not on campus, they were working remotely, but to um, with faculty in our department. So in total, about three-fourths of those um, undergraduate students that are not seniors, they, we were able to help them find something that they could do. So we would have liked to get those um, numbers down to zero in terms of not having the job that they thought they were going to, but we were able to really you know, make some difference with the help of our alumni and also our one of our advisors that worked on this process. All the students, of course, many of them, of course, are working remotely. So that was another way that, you know, their jobs were affected for internships. There are a few that I know of that I, you know, communicate with over the summer who are some of our student leaders where they are working on site or working on site to some extent. But many of them are just completely remote um, and, and doing some very interesting things um, that I've been very impressed with. And as we talk today, it's it's before fall semester starts and a lot of the decisions are still, I know, in the process of being made. The situation still very fluid as far as the virus and, and uh, in, in various areas, how bad it is and what the response is going to be. Just from a, an, an overview standpoint and from a system wide standpoint, what are some of the factors you need to consider? What are some of the problems that you need to face in considering how to reopen? In campus, whether it's a hybrid of remote and in person, what are some of the things you have to think about that you need to put in place now that you actually have time to plan that you didn't in the spring? Right. The university, our university communicated at the at the university level that we would have students back on campus in the fall and that we would have a mix of kinds of classes. So that was the overall direction. And then within each of the departments that offer degree programs, graduate or undergraduate, um, using a lot of guidance and information, we needed to come up with a plan for each of the courses that we have. So in our department, like pretty much every other department at, at our university, we will have a mix. We will have some classes that are in person completely. There's just a very few that are like that. Um, then we will have a, quite a few online classes that will be online only. And then we will have some that are hybrid where we will make use of the classrooms, but meeting distancing requirements. So um, in those situations, in those classes that are hybrid, the um, we might get a larger classroom and or the students might also have to be divided into groups of like three. And then the one group of students will go to only every third class. And then some of the, so that will be their in-person class experience, but then a number of class sessions will also be held um, online. So that's the way in which it's hybrid for our students. So that is the plan that we have. So it's a mix of those three different types. And the kinds of factors that we looked at were the nature of the class. So is it the kind of class if it has, you know, many hands-on activities, if it's a lab class, of course, we need to try to do it in person in the, you know, in a safe way for our staff and for our faculty and students. Um, if it's got other kinds of pedagogical needs, then that might help us determine whether it's one that can be online 
um, or one that really needs to have some kind of in-person component. So we really looked at that. We, you know, we looked at the capacity of the classrooms that we would have you know, at a much reduced level of capacity. For most of our classrooms, we only have about 15 to 20% of the normal capacity in the classroom in order to meet distancing requirements and, and other public health measures. Um, so, and then of course, we're also looking at our faculty and staff, you know, who are instructors of classes, what their, um, what their personal situation is in terms of whether they should be on campus teaching and their comfort level. So we've tried to do all that we can to accommodate all of those different factors and then come up with our teaching plan for the fall. Um, like all other universities, we also have the contingency that we understand that we may have to you know, pivot completely online, depending upon the, you know, health situation in our area, um, when, especially, you know, when students return. But there is a lot of effort and planning to working with students and everybody on campus and in the town on a wellness commitment to be, you know, to commit to all of the requirements that are there for our state and also for the university. And so there's a lot of communication and outreach about that and confidence that our students and our employees at the university will will adhere to that and do the right thing so that we can all stay safe. So we know that we might have to adjust all the plans that we have made for fall, but those are the kinds of things that we've been looking at. With this situation, there are always positives that can come out of it. And even in a a crisis like this, there's so much that you were able to learn uh, by making that quick pivot in the spring that schools had to make quick adjustments and through trial and error, learn what worked, what didn't work. Um, how much more prepared are you now to be able to take what you know worked and be able to refine that? And, and as one professor we talked to had explained it this way, we, we did it just to get through the semester in the spring. Now we want to do it really, really well. Right. So it's a question of taking what you've learned and really making it work for students. How, how, what have you learned that you think can you take forward and, and really make it a, a positive thing for everyone? I think that people and uh, our faculty and our staff are much more prepared than we were in the spring semester. We have more experiences we can rely on, more uh, more tools that people are aware of. So that's certainly the case. And I think for many people, it was just a matter of how can we get through the semester doing the best that we can. And many things had to fall by the wayside. Um, I do think, although we're more prepared, however, we all have to recognize that it's still not the kind of time frame you would want to be able to have to really design online courses in the right way. So it is still a short amount of time to do that. Um, but we do think that there are some things, you know, in terms of um, online activities and classes and some components um, that really could um, help us in the future going forward, you know, so we will return, of course, to as normal operations as we can have the on-campus experience for students. Um, but I do think that there will be more um, overall collective experience and, and willingness to do some things that might be virtual that might be called for in certain situations. So, you know, one one thing that we learned that was quite interesting, you know, we have our two semester capstone senior design course. And at the end of every um, academic year in April, we have a huge, like a conference event, a symposium. And, you know, usually like 300 people there, all of our graduating students, all the company sponsors, our advisory board and alumni are there. And they do a poster session and presentations. We had to, of course, decide to either do that online or we had to not hold it because we could not have the in-person event. Our teaching team for that decided we wanted to hold it virtually. Um, so it was a huge undertaking. We had, you know, 47 project teams presenting their final presentation in seven concurrent Zoom sessions. So it was a lot of work and it went much better than I expected. We did not have big technology problems. Uh, Every team member was ready to jump in and do a part of a presentation if any team member had internet problems. So there was a lot of behind the scenes planning. The thing that we really noticed that was um, maybe one positive outcome from having to do that is that we had far more people from the company sponsors attending than we normally would when I mean, maybe one or two people would be able to come to Blacksburg for the event because they might be a company that's four hours away or six hours away or an hour away. And so it made the 
the student project team's um, you know, findings and their uh, dissemination um, reach deeper into the companies that they were working on their projects for than we normally would have in the in-person event. So I found myself thinking about how might we, you know, leverage that, but still have the in-person symposium, you know, for next year, if all goes well. And that's an example of something that we learned really could work well for 180 person senior design class with 47 teams that, you know, that did work well, but it took a lot of planning. Well, let's all hope going forward that uh, that's an option rather than a requirement. And that as we move into exactly. virtual teaching, it's going to be something that uh, is, is done not because you have to and not done too quickly. But it seems like everyone is learning on uh, on the fly on this and, and making the adjustments necessary. And that's, again, one of the ways uh, that we highlight the work that ISEs can do is to take a, a problem and be able to work through it and, and make the best of it, which is certainly where that expertise comes in handy. Right. And I, and I think there are a breadth of skills and tools that we have as industrial and systems engineers that can um, really apply to all of the things that we're seeing with the pandemic and many other global challenges, right? So, you know, as an example, in a couple of our classes, another thing that many faculty did is they targeted some of their assignments to the pandemic. So in our data management class, the uh, the students had to, normally they would design a website and a data management system. The instructor had them do it for the Virginia Health Department. They, they have one, of course, but that was the student's assignment. And the instructor shared with me that was really impressive what the students were able to come up with that were very creative. And in our production planning class, the students had to write a research paper on how companies' inventory strategies and supply chain was affected in a specific industry or specific company by the pandemic. And so I think that allows students to see in the different courses they take how they can bring some valuable perspectives and tools and skills to some of these very complex problems. Lemonade from lemons. That's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. Well, Eileen, thanks so much. We wish you the best of luck moving forward with the challenges that everyone faces this fall at Virginia Tech. We hope it all turns out well. And we thank you for your time today. We look forward to talking to you more in the future. Thank you. You're very welcome. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Problem Solved, the IISC podcast, a production of the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers in Metro Atlanta. This podcast is produced by David Brandt, Keith Albertson, and Michael Hughes, and edited by David Brandt. You can listen to all episodes of Problem Solved and learn about sponsorship opportunities by visiting our website, podcast.iise.org. You can also learn more about IISE at the Institute's website, www.iise.org.